You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Well, good morning. If you would please turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. On this weekend before Independence Day, I felt led to spend some time talking with you about the liberty that we have in Christ. I've had some difficulty coming into this month knowing that I'm teaching and trying to, trying to discern what the Lord had. Um, I've, just, I've been praying and asking for him for discernment and direction. And the one thing, the one word that kept coming to mind was surrender. And I was having, I, I kind of have the further part of that lesson built in my mind and in my heart, but it was, I was trying to figure out how do I get started, where, where do I begin, um, and having a very busy week of meetings at work was, wasn't helping at all, and in fact, I tried to cop out and get Aaron to teach today, but he's, he's home with sick kids, so I said, I asked him to pray very hard for me <laughs> so that I could, so that I could get to this point, and um, as I, I realized that this weekend, as we're getting ready to celebrate Independence Day as a nation, I remembered a few years ago I had taught a lesson about the liberty that we have in Christ. Today's lesson kind of borrows heavily from that, but I believe it lays a great foundation for, on, to build on as we delve into what, it, what the Lord is really teaching me about the need to surrender to him in every area of our lives. So as we prepare this week to celebrate the liberty and freedom that our forefathers fought and died for, Let's take some time this morning to focus on that, on the true giver of liberty, without whom we, we wouldn't be here in this place today. The liberty that we have in Christ isn't a cheap liberty. It was purchased for us with the precious blood of Christ. As, as such, we need to really focus on that and understand that his liberty is both lasting and complete. We don't know how long we'll have liberty in this country, but that liberty, that's not going anywhere. And the other thing is that when we strike out on our own, it's often then that we find our burdens are heavy and our, we have some hard yokes to bear. So um, in Galatians, I'm going to start, just read verse 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your people and for the opportunity you've given me to teach from your word. Lord, I pray that you will use me, unworthy and so unmindful I often am of the liberty that you've given me. I pray you will just move me out of the way, Lord, and the words and ideas that I bring forth today will be your words, and, and that, they will just, that they will be a help and an encouragement to those that are listening, Lord. Just thank you for all that you are, and I praise you for the amazing God that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Galatians 5, Paul's, we're kind of nearing the end of Galatians. He's getting to the, to the end of the, the letter he's writing to them. He starts out with saying, stand fast, therefore. And you know, when a writer says that, there's something to look back to. So he's pointing us back to something he said just prior to that. So if you would flip back to Galatians 4, and I'm going to start in verse 19. So this is what Paul's building on to talk about the liberty that we have in Christ. Starting in verse 19, 
my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. He wants to get in front of these people. He wishes that he could get in front of these people and emphasize how important what he has to say is. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a handmaid, or by a bondmaid, and the other by a free woman. But he who was out of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou, barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So that's the first point I want to really focus on. We are the children of the free, not the bondwoman. Regardless of our current situation, we are free. Our freedom, like that of Jerusalem, doesn't depend on our immediate circumstances. As Paul was writing, Jerusalem was under the bondage of Rome, yet Jerusalem above was free. So too, we are the children of the promise. At the moment of our salvation, God made us his. Where we were the, as the descendants of Hagar before, outcasts shunned by a holy God, now we are his through the blood of his son. We are joint heirs with him, children of the promise. We are free. Yet as Paul points out here, we may not be physically free, as was the case with the Jews at the time of his writing, since we, but since we are a kingdom not of this earth, we are free. Free from all of the things that put people in bondage. In the context of these verses, one of the things that really put people into bondage was that bondage to trying to keep the law. Like some of the Galatians, people today place themselves under bondage to rituals and works, thinking that they will somehow, through following of some prescription, some ritual, that they'll obtain freedom. The reality is that no amount of good works will ever make us free. The rituals themselves become a sort of bondage because no one really knows how many, what type, what kind of good works can I do that's going to make, make one fit for heaven. In fact, as those of us who have ever been in bondage to a good works false idea of salvation know, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. How much do I have to do to get to heaven? What if I fail in a certain area of works? I hope I'm doing enough. When we are truly saved, as Paul says here, we become children of the free. Our liberty is as inherent to us as it was to Isaac, the true child of promise, the son of that free woman. We are no longer slaves to works, no, no longer slaves to the law. Instead, because we realize that we 
could have never done enough on our own to earn our way into heaven. We are free to do good works out of gratitude to the one who saved us. So coming back to Galatians 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Paul's writing to the Galatian church, some of whom, being misinformed, were insisting that they had to be circumcised into, in order to become Christian. He makes it very clear that if they were depending on that ritual of circumcision to save them, to make them Christian, they had completely missed the point. Christ had become of no effect to them. If they were depending on anything but Christ for their salvation, they didn't understand the true meaning of grace. Paul admonishes them to stand fast, be unmovable in the liberty that they had in Christ. Can you imagine a man who's been sentenced to a chain gang in the old days, right? Um, working with back-breaking efforts, digging whatever, whatever he's been told to do, toiling all day long through all the daylight hours, but then he receives a full pardon. When he receives that news, he's ecstatic. The officer takes off his shackles, and the man rejoices in his freedom. But then, instead of leaving, he continues hanging around, starts to wield the pickaxe again, and before he knows it, he's returned to that back-breaking labor, even to the point of having his shackles reattached. How often do Christians do this instead of standing firm in that liberty that we have in Christ? We get caught up in trying to do good, for the wrong reasons. We're free, and we should live like it. Continuing on. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? You can see here the frustration that Paul felt at at those who were preaching that salvation by circumcision, by ritual. You were doing well. Who got in your way and got you off track so that you stopped obeying the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This idea that you're following didn't come of Christ. Christ called you. This is a man-made requirement. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And that's that, that point that this kind of teaching can very quickly permeate an entire church and spread. Verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but that he that troubleth you should, be, should bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach cir- circumcision, why do I yet suffer, suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross cease. Paul's saying... If I were really preaching circumcision, the law, then the Jews wouldn't be persecuting, they wouldn't be persecuting him. But in fact, he's preaching the cross, the end, the fulfillment of the law as a means of salvation. In verse 12, he says, I would that, I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. I love Paul because he doesn't, he doesn't mince any words. His wish would be for those who are preaching this falsehood, this work salvation, to be cut off 
because of the damage that they were doing to the cause of Christ. And then verse 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And that brings the second point that I want to bring is that we are free not to indulge our flesh, but to serve one another. The freedom that's gained when we depend solely on Christ for our salvation, when we're no longer working trying to save ourselves, it's a freedom that allows us to take the focus off of ourselves. No longer are we afraid of not doing enough for our own salvation, but instead we're free to do more for our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as those who are not yet saved. That's the true meaning of liberty. We're free to serve because we want to, because we desire to, not because we have to. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. When we no longer have that self-inward focus of trying to work ourselves into heaven, we're free to fulfill the, fulfill the law, not as a means of salvation, but a means of expressing our gratitude to the one who saved us. When we fulfill that law through service to our neighbor, loving, loving our neighbor as our own self. Paul, in verse 13, he said, offers a warning that the freedom we have is not to be used to gratify our own flesh, but to serve. We're not a slave any longer to the flesh. Instead, we've been freed, and we're free to serve. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Because we're free, Christians are at different levels of spiritual growth. Maybe you serve more than I do. That doesn't give you the right to criticize me. If, or if I think maybe I'm doing more, that doesn't give me the right to criticize you in the way that you're serving. We're here to build each other up. We're here to, to encourage and admonish one another instead of instead of the biting and the cutting that he's talking about. The reality is there are a lot of quiet servants that serve behind the scenes and are doing amazing and great things for Christ that many of us don't even know about. Our liberty frees us to serve Christ and not worry about what others are doing. Paul warns that such biting and devouring can lead to being consumed. Such things can destroy a church, and it certainly destroys our testimony. How many, how many times have we heard the excuse from unbelievers that Christians are hypocrites? This could be one area in which it's true. This type of behavior encourages that notion. Imagine yourself as an unbeliever hearing one Christian tear down another brother in Christ, but then go around preaching, love one another as I have loved you. How damaging for the cause of Christ. Our lives are to be reflective of Christ's love and the freedom from bondage that we have in Christ unfetters us from the works and allows us to truly serve others without concern about the levels of service that our brothers and sisters are giving. Continuing on in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the spirit, you are you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, 
wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are in Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That brings me to the third point, is that we are free to walk in the Spirit. Paul admonishes the Galatians and us to walk in the Spirit. He says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Since the flesh and the Spirit are diametrically opposed to each other, you cannot walk in the Spirit and be in the flesh at the same time. So the more that we walk in the Spirit, the less influence the flesh has in our lives. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then Paul goes on to list the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. I remember when I taught this lesson, parts of this lesson before, it, was, it struck me, as I had never noticed before, that it's the works of the flesh, yet the fruits of the Spirit. When we live in the flesh, it is our works that produce this whole list of wickedness, this, the adultery, the fornication, the lasciviousness, the idolatry, the witchcraft, hatred, all of that list, those are the works of the flesh. There's not good fruit produced through these things. In fact, Paul warns against the works of the flesh are not the way to inherit the kingdom of God. But contrast here, the, contrast all of that with the fruit of the Spirit. The contrast between works and fruit is so important here. The good that we have in our lives as a result of, working, of walking in the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, not of our works. Think about this. You could spend all summer working in your garden, tilling, hoeing, watering, weeding, fertilizing, but if your garden doesn't have the right kind of plants in it, you're never going to get any fruit. So it is with the Christian life. If you spend your time working even to the point of exhaustion, but you're doing it all without the right thing, without the right plant, without the spirit, you will not have any fruit for your efforts. So it's, I can't even express the importance, how important it is to have our efforts be led by the spirit, to be spirit-led. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Do you see the difference? The fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves in right attitudes while the flesh manifests itself in evil deeds. In verse 24 again, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its, with its affection and lust. All of that which drove us to the works of the flesh have been crucified. So we have no excuse to perform the works of the flesh. If the flesh is crucified, that which drove us to the works of the flesh is gone. The Spirit lives and lives in us. Since the Spirit lives in us, we are to live and walk in the Spirit. And thereby we begin to reap the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So our liberty in Christ is this. We're freed from the flesh to walk in the spirit, walking in these attitudes, the love, the joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. 
I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't go into a list of the actions that go along with these. I believe there's some reasons for that. First, the attitude in our heart is more important than what we actually do. Not to use that as an excuse not to do anything, but it's, what, it's the, the motivation behind our actions that's more important than what we actually do. Second, when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit leads us to the appropriate actions. Those actions may not be the same for everyone. The key here is to allow the Spirit to lead. If, if Paul had given a list of actions, we'd, we'd, as humans, we'd start following this action, this action, this action. Instead, he didn't give us any actions. He just told us to walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead. And that brings me to where I'm going next week, and that is to allow the Spirit to lead that requires a surrender on our part. So as I, as I studied this lesson, I started looking at, at my life and started looking for those fruits of the Spirit. Where's the love? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? The long-suffering? Gentleness? Goodness? Faith? Meekness? And temperance? I'd like you to look in your own life too. All right, is that fruit there? If our, if our attitudes are not what the Spirit would produce, then I have to ask, am I truly walking in the Spirit? Am I allowing the Spirit to lead me? If not, it's time to start surrendering. That means giving up control of every area of our life. I've heard pastors say it, that you get to a point where there's, you have no will of your own. You allow the Spirit to lead you. But isn't that kind of fruit worth it? I know that when I struggle in my life, it's often because I'm striking out on my own, trying to do things in my own flesh. I start losing that peace and that joy. It's because I've just I've tried to do things on my own, do it on my own efforts. I might be doing the right things from the outside, but in my heart, I'm doing it. I'm not doing it because the Spirit is leading me. I'm doing it because I think it's the right thing to do. Next week, we'll look at the concept of surrendering to the Spirit and allowing Him to control our lives. And as you have the opportunity this week, just I would ask that you would pray. Pray for me as, I, as I'm building this lesson. And my prayer is that all of us as Christians will begin to, to allow the Spirit to lead in our lives. So let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.